Hello again, and welcome back to Street Talk with Wine Spectator, a new podcast from the world's most widely read wine magazine. I'm your host, James Molesworth, Wine Spectator's senior editor and special projects director, and you're listening to a special preview edition of Straight Talk Episode 2, where we're going on a Robert Mondavi deep dive. This is one of my favorite episodes to date, and while we couldn't possibly fit the entire Robert Mondavi saga into just 30 minutes, we'll talk to some of the people who knew him best, including his son, Continuum Estate co-founder Tim Mondavi, international winemaking star and Mondavi winery alum Paul Hobbs, Mount Vitor Winery founders and former Mondavi Winery tour guides Arlene and Michael Bernstein, and even Wine Spectator editor and publisher Marvin R. Shankin. You can hear all of these interviews and more for free in the full episode only at winespectator.com slash podcast. We might not make it to the end, but we're going to start at the beginning. In 1966, there were just a few dozen wineries in Napa Valley. In terms of American drinking culture, wine was an afterthought and the industry had remained largely stagnant since Prohibition. That was the year Robert Mondavi founded his winery. It changed everything. In the nearly six decades since, the number of Napa Valley wineries has grown from a few dozen to nearly 500. The valley changed as well, a lot. By the time Robert Mondavi passed in 2008, at age 94, he and his family didn't even own his namesake winery anymore. So why is Robert Mondavi still relevant today? Because no single person is more responsible for the modern-day success of what is now a $40 billion annual California wine industry. Robert Mondavi, or Bob as he was known to his friends, was the catalyst for America's wine revolution. His fingerprints are all over the valley, and his legacy, from his namesake estate and its winemaking alums to his children's own wineries, is very much alive and well. Joining me now is our own podcast director, Rob Taylor. Hey, James. The Mandavi saga has fascinated so many of us for so long. Call me crazy, but somehow I don't think this will be the last time Robert Mandavi shows up on the cover of Wine Spectator. Yeah, I'm not taking that bet. But there's an entire generation of younger wine lovers who don't know much of anything about the legend of Robert Mandavi Winery. Take us back to the beginning. I'd be happy to. So buckle up. Near the end of 1965, Robert Mandavi's future looked bleak. He was 52 years old, and his own family was forcing him out of the winery that he'd spent two decades building into one of the best in Napa Valley. He had been general manager for his family's Charles Krug Winery, a historic cellar in St. Helena. Under the leadership of Robert, who oversaw sales and operations, and his younger brother Peter, who oversaw winemaking, Krug was recapturing its pre-prohibition glory. But the two brothers squabbled constantly. One day, Peter accused his older brother of misappropriating funds. Robert struck him. Okay, stop. You, you can't just skip over the slap or the punch, depending on who's telling the story. So, yes, Peter and Robert were always at odds over how their family's business was run. Basically, it was Go Big Bob versus Penny Pinching Peter. But you can't leave out the straw that broke the camel's back. Well, it was over Robert's wife's mink coat, which Robert had used Krug funds to pay for. His argument basically being that she needed to look the part on high-end sales calls. Peter wasn't buying it. Literally. Their mother, Rosa, the winery's leading shareholder, ultimately dismissed her son, Robert, from the family business. Now, Robert was a smart, proud, and ambitious man, but he had no savings while he was living in a house on the winery property owned by the family that had rejected him. He had three kids and college tuition to pay. So every day, for weeks, that fall and winter, as 1965 turned to 1966, Robert walked out of his home on the crude grounds, past the winery where his brother worked, 
and the house where his mother lived, and he stepped into the vineyard. He carried a card table and a chair. Once he was out of sight, surrounded by vines, he would set up the table and sit, day after day. The leaves turned red and gold and then fell from the vines. Robert was considering his future. He considered Napa's future and the future of wine in America. Eventually, he decided to bet big on that future. Robert's youngest son, Tim, now the co-founder and wine grower at Continuum Estate, spoke with Mitch Frank about growing up at Krug and then joining his father's upstart winery in 1966. What has it been like, you know, after kind of growing up in your teen years, seeing your father start a winery? What has it been like for you, your own evolution, starting your own winery and kind of growing the vision from the ground up? Well, it's been, uh, it's quite something. I grew up as a boy on the Charles Krug property. Charles Krug Winery was my playground. I would play in the winery among the tanks and the bottling line and conveyor belts and invite my friends over to ride the conveyor belts, uh, which was quite a kick. But the business challenges of the day caused intensity among the family, and so my father was booted out. But I saw him begin again at Robert Mondavi, and so it was very exciting. I was able to put the first valves on the first tanks at Robert Mondavi at the age of 15 in 1966, and, you know, it was all hands on deck. And I loved being able to see that and see my father, his fastidious focus on detail, making sure that if we were to mow the lawn, we had to be in a collared shirt and pressed pants, um, and always be welcoming to people. We had to build an industry, not just wine, but a recognition of uh, food and wine and culture in America. I think you were asking about the cultural elements. What was it that made my father what he was? And I think it was being a child of immigrants that did not speak English extremely well, but were incredibly intelligent. And they, my grandfather was known for his word. Uh, his word was gold. He was really the visionary that brought us to America, brought us to wine, brought us to California, and ultimately directed us to Napa Valley. It was that spirit of needing to be successful, that drive to prove oneself, that was a fundamental element of these Italian immigrants that were looked down upon as Dagos at the time. We forget that, uh, and a lot of immigrants can relate to that today. But the immigrant story in America is what has made America great, and I think we have very short memories. While Tim was born into the Mondavi winery, it also attracted passionate and talented employees not just in the cellar, but in the hospitality business as well, including Robert's future second wife, Magritte, and Arlene and Michael Bernstein, who joined Mondavi as tour guides to help fund the development of their own vineyard and winery. The two of us showed up for the interview, and in those days, Bob and Margaret did the interviewing for tour guides. You were two people showing up for one job. Ex yes. Exactly, exactly. And so... Robert looked at us and he said, he said, I don't understand. There's two of you. There's only one job. And I said, well, that's right. And he said, well, how will we know who's coming to work? And I said, you won't, but one of us will show up. <laughs> and so they thought about it for a while and they said, yeah, okay. Bob was very traditional, but then you looked around the place and he had a female enologist. He had Margaret at the head of public relations, and I was the first female 
tour guide. So what was Bob like, especially in those days, as the man with the vision, but at the same time who had to make the place run? Bob would repeatedly say, my goal is to have Napa Valley wines on the table with the greatest wines of the world. And he wasn't talking about Robert Mondavi wines. He was talking about Napa Valley wines. That was his driving idea. Mondavi really felt like it was an integral part of wine appreciation. But in the 1950s and into the 60s, most of the wine made in California was fortified. And Mondavi was championing a shift in taste. The idea that wine's rightful place was at the dinner table. Table wines to be enjoyed with good food and thoughtful conversation. Mondavi didn't lead the charge single-handedly, but Napa was the most visible U.S. region for fine wine at the time, and Mondavi was its highest profile, most outspoken champion. He led a tireless effort to improve winemaking in California, to elevate American hospitality and fine dining, and more than anything, to prove that Napa wines, dry table wines, belonged on the same dining table as the finest wines of Europe. To that end, his biggest coup was arguably Opus One, Napa's original disruptor. It was a partnership between Mondavi and Baron Philippe de Rothschild of Bordeaux First Growth Mouton Rothschild, and it showed the world that Napa Valley Cabernet was now a contender. Despite all of Robert Mondavi's successes, however, there were also missteps, including an IPO in 1993. The brand swelled through the 1990s, driven by the need to satisfy profit-minded investors. The decision to attach the Mondavi name to the mass-produced Woodbridge brand is the one that Wine Spectator editor and publisher Marvin R. Shankin doesn't believe the brand will ever overcome. It was 30 years ago. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was flying from San Francisco back home to New York. Pretty sure it was first class. The attendant asked me if I would like a glass of wine. What do you have? I asked. She answered, Mondavi Cabernet Sauvignon. So I happily said yes. She brought me a glass. I tasted it. It was thin, it was watery, it was bland. I was shocked. I asked her for the bottle, because I couldn't believe it was Mondavi Cabernet. And sure enough, it was Woodbridge by Robert Mondavi. I started to think, this is the kiss of death. The great Robert Mondavi Cabernet, one of my favorite wines. Unfortunately, I was right, and the winery has suffered. Sad but the truth. That's a very stark memory from 30 years ago. When you look back on it today, is the damage that was done what you thought it would be? Is it worse? Can they fix it? There's no question the Mondavi brand has been damaged. The new owner, Constellation, is in the process of trying to fix it. I'm not sure they can. In our full-length episode, I also interviewed Robert Hansen, the president of Constellation's Wine and Spirits Division, and how their team plans to continue writing the Robert Mondavi ship and their honest response to criticism such as Marvin's. But the proof is in the bottles. I'll give you a little Straight Talk Preview Edition spoiler. Shortly after this episode initially aired, the 2019 Robert Mondavi Cabernet Estates bottling was named Wine Spectator's number 6 Wine of the Year for 2022. No winery carries as much legacy as much cultural import to American wine as Robert Mondavi Winery, and I'm optimistic for its future. 
But if you want to find out why, you'll have to tune in to the free full-length Straight Talk Episode 2 exclusively at winespectator.com slash podcast. I hope we'll see you there. But until then, I'm James Molesworth reminding you to always share when you drink the good stuff. <laughs>